Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Warren Buffett, one of the most famous investors in the world. So why does FT Money columnist Meryn Somerset Webb say she is not that into him? Is it ever a good idea to own shares in the company you work for? And as UBS relaunches its wealth management service explicitly to appeal to women, we ask, are the investment needs of females really so different? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you the week's money news in downloadable form. Now, Meryn Somerset Webb is not a person to shy away from controversy. One of the only FT columnists to openly back Brexit, last weekend she shocked money readers by admitting that she was just not that into Warren Buffett. So what does she have against the Sage of Omaha? She joins me now on the line from Edinburgh. Meryn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Claire. Can I just say that your readers are very easily shocked, aren't they? <laughs> they certainly are, <laughs> if, if, judging by the comments on your article online. But what's your beef with Buffett? Well, I think the key point to make here is that Buffett has got a brilliant record and was an extraordinary investor when he first started out. You know, all that period in the 70s when there was very high inflation and everyone else lost piles of money. You know, the S&P lost sort of 50% of its value in 20 months in, in that first bit in 73, 74. He did astounding things, his return over that decade was something like eight, nine hundred percent. That was an extraordinary period of investing. My problem with him is not so much that he's a lousy investor, because of course he is not. It's just that everyone refers to him as a value investor. And fund managers turn up to see me all the time and they say, well, of course, we invest in the style of Warren Buffett. We're value investors. Of course, Warren Buffett isn't a value investor anymore. You can't invest that insane amount of money across such an extraordinary range of businesses and be a classic value investor. He's now something else altogether. So if you're looking for a value investor, looking to Warren Buffett is the wrong place to look. That's really my beef with the whole thing. And then, of course, as I said in the article, I made the horrible mistake of going to Omaha Mm. and going to the Berkshire Hathaway AGM a few years ago now. And it was just the most horrible, schmaltzy, folksy, jamboree, almost religious style experience. And I think that's something that a British journalist just finds really difficult to take. And there were two other uh, English journalists there, and we were all in the bar by two o'clock. Well, because we couldn't couldn't stand poetry dedications anymore. Well, you think that now he's better described as a quality growth investor? Yeah, which is fine, absolutely fine. That's a great way to invest. But it seems to me that right now, readers who want to be very cautious, which I think you should be at the moment, should be looking for real value investments. And the difference here actually is quite interesting. If you listen to people talking about value and growth, very often they sound like exactly the same thing. Mm. And in fact, I've had lots of emails saying to me, of course, value and growth are exactly the same thing, because who would invest in anything if they didn't think they were getting value? And that's a fundamental 
fundamental misunderstanding of what these terms mean. If you are a value investor, you are buying something that, according to its balance sheet, definitely has value now. So it is selling for less than the value of its assets or its cash flow is considerably cheaper than cash flow in other companies. If you are a growth investor, you are buying a forecast. You are buying mm. an expectation that there will be the growth that you forecast over the next year, the year after, the year after, year after. So you may be paying a much higher P ratio, for example, depends how you want to value this stuff. But let's say we're talking about P's. You'll be paying a much higher P ratio that you believe to represent value because you believe there will be growth in the coming years. If you are a value investor, you will be paying a much lower PE because you are only prepared to pay for what you know exists already. And that's a very clear difference. Now, at the moment, when we have you know, political uncertainty all around us and also corporate and financial uncertainty all around us, because we know there's going to be uh, big changes to corporate tax regulations, etc., certainly in the U.S., probably in other places. We know, for example, about changes coming to the tax deductibility of interest, which I've written about before and is fascinating, but could make a huge difference to, to the way that all sorts of corporates um, can declare their profits. So, Indeed. If that is happening, you need to be very careful that you always have some kind of margin of safety. And that's what classic value investing is about, about making sure that there is safety built into the things that you buy now because you already know where the value is. You're not anticipating value arriving. You know it's there already. And, and that's the difference. And so this new fund I was talking about in my column, and I love the way that in the comments, everyone seems to think that I'm recommending friends funds. I've only met this poor man once. I'm sure we'd be wonderful friends if, if we did meet properly, but, uh, you know, we've met once for 20 minutes, so I'm not exactly promoting friends' funds when I write about things in, in the newspaper. There was also a wonderful comment underneath that suggested that I voted leave just to get gold mining shares up. Oh, yes, I, I, I enjoyed that one. But <laughs> enjoyed many... if, if only I could forecast things so gorgeously. But many of the commenters also said that your comment that the thought of Italy leaving the EU is now top of your worry list mm. was quite surprising, seeing as you so openly um, defended Brexit um, in previous columns. So why are you so worried about Italy? Well, I'm worried about Italy just because I do think that, you know, when the Eurozone breaks up, we do have a period of chaos. I mean, that's got mm. nothing to do with us, of course, which is one of the reasons why I, was quite, uh, why I was keen on Brexit. I'd like to get well out of the way before the whole thing implodes. However, the breakup of the Eurozone, which I suspect probably will start with Italy, and there's lots of political movement there, as you know, and uh, you hear frequently from politicians in Italy that uh, they wouldn't mind being first out of the Eurozone. And that would probably be excellent for Italy in the longer term. And in fact, being out of the Eurozone would be excellent for lots of European economies in the longer term. But in the short term, trying to get out of the Eurozone will cause enormous difficulties in Italy and chaos across the region, financial chaos across the region. And we could do without another financial crisis, I think we could all agree. This stuff is going to happen in the end. It would be nice if it could happen in, in a politically controlled way. My concern is that that's not how it'll happen. OK, and finally... I mean, you, can, you can be anti the EU and worry about how it breaks up at the same time. And finally... if you're anti-EU and pro-Europe. <laughs> and finally, I couldn't let you go without asking why pictures of you dressed up as Wonder Woman are being circulated on the internet. I hope they're not being circulated too much. <laughs> <laughs> this is for a new charity, which I'm very interested in, literacy charity in Edinburgh, aimed specifically at Leaf. And now the reason why we're using the superpower shtick is to say that actually, do you know what? Reading is a superpower. Being able to read well, being highly literate unlocks so much opportunity. It unlocks the whole future. If you, if you can't read, if your literacy is bad, you're very, very handicapped throughout life. So 
being able to read well and in fact enjoying reading, enjoying stories, being able to get lost in stories, etc. is a phenomenal life superpower. So if you look up the Superpower Agency Edinburgh, you won't just see me in a Wonder Woman costume and I'm sure that's not actually what people are looking for. You'll see other people dressed up as uh, superpower people as well. There's Ian Rankin is dressed up, for example, and there are various others. So it's just a way to try and draw attention to the idea that good literacy is the greatest superpower you can give a child. And we're looking for volunteers, we're looking for funding, etc. So if anyone wants to go to the website, have a look and get in touch, that would be great. Well, thanks very much there to Marin Somerset Webb, FT Money's regular investment columnist, editor-in-chief of Money Week and all-round financial wonder woman. You can read her column online now at ft.com slash money or in the money section of the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday. The past week has seen two companies that I previously used to work for, Pearson and BT, put out whopping profit warnings, causing their share prices to fall by more than 20%. Thankfully, I didn't own shares in either firm, although I had done through the popular employee perk of company share save schemes. In my FT Money column this week, I question whether holding shares in the company that you actually work for is ever a good idea. Joining me to discuss this is Phil Ainsley, Managing Director of Aquinity's Employee Services Business. Welcome, Phil. Thank you, Claire. So your company, Aquinity, manages roughly half of all of the UK's save-as-you-earn schemes. These allow employees of listed companies to save up and buy shares at a discount. How exactly do they work? Well, these are government-backed schemes that also have tax advantages, where an employee is given a right to buy company shares at a price that's fixed right at the start. Usually a 20% discount. That's the general amount, and it's a maximum amount that companies can give to that share price. But it's linked to a savings contract, either a three- or a five-year term, and at the end of it, they can use those monies, if they so choose, to buy the shares. And as I've written in my column this week, I did very well out of some of the Pearson save-as-you-earn schemes. But the crucial decision that savers need to make is what to do when the scheme matures. Talk us through the options. Well, that's why I always think that save-as-you-earn share option schemes or share saver, they're often called, are a bit of a no-brainer. Because the worst that can happen is that the price at which you can buy the shares is above the price of the shares at that time in which case you can just take your money and you can walk away. Alternatively, hopefully the shares will have gone up, and at that point you can either sell the shares and take the profit immediately, or you can hold the shares and be a shareholder like any other shareholder, earning dividends and watching how the company performs. Or you've got other choices, particularly if it makes sense to diversify your investments and you can put the shares direct into an ISA and that ISA can be a corporate ISA where you can then look at either a spread of investments or particular funds that will mitigate any risk that you have and you've got 90 days from the date of your decision to buy the shares to make that choice. Now, as we've seen this week, particularly with my own colleagues at the FT, many of whom had these residual shareholdings in Pearson that are just kind of forgotten about, a big concentrated exposure to one share can prove catastrophic for your savings if the shares in that company collapse. But what other pros and cons should listeners be aware of with share save schemes? Well, the hope is, of course, that the rise in the value of the share price is stratospheric and you make loads and loads of money. And certainly the companies that you've referenced before, BT and Pearson, the people there in previous schemes have made huge amounts of money. 
and whilst any gains aren't subject to either income tax or national insurance, they are subject to capital gains tax, which is always a good problem to have because yeah. current limit's 11,100. But people can mitigate that again by washing the shares through an ISA where obviously capital gains are free, so that's one route. And the limit's going up to £20,000 from April? The limit's going up to 20000 and if the timing is right from your share safe scheme maturity, you can span two tax years and so, in effect, double that amount. You can also transfer shares to your spouse and, in effect, double that amount again if it fits in with the tax years. So there should be very little reason, if you manage it properly, for you to pay capital gains tax unless it has been the most phenomenal scheme. Now, one fast fact that you told me in the green room before we came in is that if you'd save the maximum amount, £500 a month, into the last BT share save scheme, which matured before this week's profit warning, you would be sitting on quite a tidy sum. Yes, some of the gains that BT employees have seen in the last couple of years have been £100,000+, which is a huge amount of money when you think that £15,000 would have been the original investment that was saved during that time. So there was a huge effort that BT at that time made in order to help people understand CGT implications and make the right decisions to minimise the amount of tax that they paid. Obviously, not all schemes are that way, and that's why if the worst comes to the worst, at least you're going to get the money back that you've saved. Well, thanks very much there to Phil Ainsley of Equinity. And you can read my latest column, Why You Should Never Own Shares in the Company You Work For, online now at ft.com money or in the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday. Don't you know that it's different for girls? So sang Joe Jackson, one of my all-time musical heroes, in his 1979 hit. But does the same apply to financial advice? The Swiss bank UBS certainly thinks so. This week, it's announced it will realign its wealth management business to attract more female customers. Mm. Joining me to discuss is Amy Williams, FT Money reporter. Welcome, Amy. Hello. So UBS, they're not the first wealth manager to cover more female clients, but are the investment needs of women really so different to those of men? Personally, I would argue that they're not. If you go back a few decades, women obviously had less money to invest. But nowadays, women have jobs, they're independent, they earn decent money. We still have a gender pay gap, but it's getting there. And women are having access to all all the same online services and information that, that men have. So there's no reason that they shouldn't be investing. There are some situations that women are more likely to find themselves in than men. For example, they're more likely to be a single parent. They're also more likely to have a longer retirement or a very long retirement than men are. But aside from these things, they want to own homes, they want to go on holiday and, and they want a comfortable retirement. So they have the same needs as men on a lot of fronts. So why then has UBS launched this drive? I mean, they say that at the moment, female clients hold around one third of the assets that are managed by its wealth unit. Is there more money out there for them to get? And how does it plan to increase this? There's a lot of research out there saying that women are frightened of the stock market and they're not investing as much as men. So UBS have obviously cottoned on to that. And as part of this new plan to attract more women, they've got a couple of things they're doing. The first thing they want to do is to retrain all their staff to make sure that they're not biased against women. So that's a good start, obviously. They're also quite focused on jargon busting. And kind of ironically, they've told me they would share their internal tone document to their marketing (laughs) people because they said that women hate jargon. I'm not 
convinced that hatred of jargon is just one for women, but there we are. And they've said that, and I'm quoting, women want to be served with a different dialogue that places greater focus on their aspirations as opposed to pure investment outcomes. So they seem to think that women want to hear a different story to men when it comes to investing and why they should invest and what they should be doing with their money. And then the other very big thing that they've committed to is to make more effort to promote more women within their own company. Um, so they currently got an internal target that they'll have a quarter of their management being women and they want to increase that to a third. So it's only a little increase, but I think, you know, they're trying and it's along the right lines and more, more chance that their clients their, their new female clients will have a female senior advisor to meet when they come in indeed and finally while it's encouraging to see ebs attempting to adapt their business to make it more female friendly are there any hard financial reasons why they might be doing it well women are in control of a growing portion of global wealth. So UBS themselves calculated that globally the wealth of women will grow from $13 trillion to $18 trillion by 2021. And it's actually growing faster than men's wealth. So it's growing 1.6% faster year on year than wealth controlled by men. So this Mm -hmm. is clearly a business opportunity and they describe it as a business priority, quoting again. And they may also be inspired by at least one other rival wealth manager, Killick & Co, who are much smaller, but have had some success running face-to-face seminars for women about investing. And Killick & Co have discovered that many women when they go through divorce, start seeking investment advice. And it's possible that UBS has identified this as a good opportunity for for them to grow their business. Well, thanks very much there to Amy Williams, FT Money reporter. Woman or man, we'd love to know what you think about this story. Comment online at ft.com slash money or email us money at ft.com. I'll read out the best comments on the podcast next week. That's all from The Money Show this week. If you've got a story that you'd like the FT Money team to follow up or even a question to pose to our team of financial experts, do get in touch. Our email address, money at ft.com or tweet us at ftmoney or comment on our articles online at ft.com slash money. We will be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.